Is it on now? Okay. Now we're going. All right. I thought I had it on. All right. Now, where was I? There we go. Thank you. The need for, the need for discipline now is greater since sin has entered the world. We have to learn to subdue ourselves, but we must do so with the presence of an innate hatred for God, the world around us, and a desire to rebel. Sinful desires must be subjugated so that we can complete God's mission, the mission that God gave us. Now, we don't discipline ourselves just for the sake of discipline. God has a purpose for our lives, and that directs our discipline. There are many exhortations throughout Proverbs concerning discipline. In the opening words of the book, Solomon says that his son's discipline is among the few reasons that he's writing the book. Discipline is the way of wisdom, and parents are the first source of discipline in our lives. Parents have the God-given responsibility to train their children with the aim of producing godly character so that children may grow and fulfill their God-given purpose in the world. Now, there are there are numerous exhortations throughout Proverbs that focus on parents as the source of discipline and wisdom. Times in which Solomon calls his son to hear the words of his father and not forsake the law of his mother. But the scattered exhortations are all a part of a larger exhortation that encompasses the purpose of the entire book of Proverbs. As mentioned earlier, the entire book is written by a father to his son so that his son might learn discipline. Proverbs is a book of parental discipline. It is a book of discipline not only for the child, but for the parent. Both parent and child are instructed in the ways of discipline. Proverbs is not a how-to book on discipline, though there are some how-tos contained in its pages. Proverbs gives you the aim of discipline. And the aim of discipline is wisdom with all of, it, all of its rewards. Now, wisdom, what is that? Wisdom is knowing and having the skill to put things in proper relationships with one another to create what is true and beautiful and faithful and peaceful that is a wise man knows how to order his own life before god and the world the wise man knows how to bring order to the peace uh, to the peace of creation that god gives him he knows how to put things together right he knows how to put relationships right the aim of parental discipline is wisdom to order a child's world so that he stands in righteous relationships to God, others, and the non-human creation around him. Remember, training, discipline is training in order to produce a specific character, godly character, that will cause you to fulfill God's purpose for your life and enjoy his rewards. The aim of parents in the discipline of their children is just this. As you approach questions of discipline in your family, whether righteous habits you wish to cultivate or correction all that all that must all that must be guided by the question what is your aim what is your issue what is your mission you may want to ask it this way what what is your mission or even what are we trying to accomplish with our family and in our children is the aim of discipline simply that your children are not an aggravation to you are you only trying to keep them out of jail the parental mission must have definition so that you're not flailing around with correction arbitrarily and inconsistently. You will frustrate your children with this. And we are commanded not to exasperate our children like this. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. We have general commands that govern all our lives that must direct our parenting. 
For instance, we are to love God and love our neighbors. We're to be training our children to obey these commands. Love God, love your neighbor. The question is, what does it look like in your children to love God and love your neighbor? Now, there are sex-specific goals. Are you training a boy or are you training a girl? The aim of discipline for each will be different. Then you must consider each individual child and his or her personality. How do you work with the grain of the way God created the child and focus all of that toward godly purposes? One general aim for children of both sexes is self-control, self-governance. You, as a parent, are trying to work yourself out of a job. Once you know where your child is supposed to be headed, what the aim of his life is, then you train him toward loving that goal and learning how to attain that goal by telling himself no and yes at the right times. He must learn what impulses to subdue, how to train his passions, and when to do what he needs to do, whether he's feeling it or not. He must learn how to say no to himself and yes to what helps him accomplish his aim. For instance, if you were seeking to lose weight, if that is your aim, you must deny yourself the craving for Bluebell every night and say yes to the calorie deficit and the, the physical exercise that you need, even if you don't like doing it. Children don't know when to say no to themselves and when to say yes to what is best for them. They must be trained. More about this in just a moment. Now, we know that all our children, whether boys or girls, are to be trained to worship with the gathered people of God, for example. Now, to do this, they must learn what it means to be in unified participation with others. They must be self-controlled, exhibiting deference to others and submission to authority. They must learn to say yes to actively participating with others in the activities of worship, even when they don't feel like it. They must learn to say no to personal outbursts that disrupt the unity of worship. The aim is to have them fully participating in the worship of God. That gives you your aim. That gives you your purpose. You actively teach them how to do this through participation in congregational worship, and you train them in your family worship times. The aim lets you know when correction is needed. This goes to the larger issue of children needing to learn context. There are different times and places to act different ways. Children don't understand context. They will share your family secrets when they ought not. They don't understand context. Even when they are told the differences, they still want to ignore them. Because our circles tend to be so very child-friendly, so to speak, People tend to think that children shouldn't learn context. We need to simply let children be children. Well, foolishness is bound up in a heart's child. Letting children be children, in one sense, might be encouraging foolishness. They have to learn context. If you're letting them run around all the time like caffeinated Tasmanian devils, thinking the entire world and every occasion is their playground, ignoring all context, then you are not training them. Children like to play, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with children's play. It's very healthy, in fact. But if they play in the building as they do outside, they could hurt older members. Children running through the church could be like a tidal wave that destroys everything in its path. But you say, well, it's so hard on children when they have to 
stay inside, they have to sit still, and they can't play. Well, yes, self-governance is difficult. So what's your point? They need to learn self-control. That's what it means to be trained. They must be refocused on other positive activities and or corrected for their be- from their behavior that thinks only of themselves and what they're to do and what they want to do at the time. That's where the hard work of parenting comes in. Parents themselves must be disciplined in order to discipline their children, which may mean giving up a conversation or something else you want to do at the time. As we parent our children, we must also distinguish between God's rules and house rules. God's rules do not vary. You can't worship other gods. You must obey. You must worship God rightly, and when he tells you, you can't live in such a way that you empty God's name of its meaning. You must honor your parents. You must refrain from manslaughter, sexual sin, stealing, and covetousness. Those do not change. Those are God's rules. They are set. They provide fixed boundaries in which to train your children. House rules may vary from house to house. The way one family applies discipline to accomplish the goal may not be exactly the same way as another family, and that's okay. The only question is, are we both aiming at the right things, and are our methods getting us there? What curriculum you use, or if you send your children to a Christian school, or how you schedule your day in schooling, your children is not as important as making sure that they are educated Christianly. House rules may include things such as how children address elders. The the general principle is that they must respect their elders. That is the biblical standard. Respect your elders. Respect the gray head. Specific addresses may vary. House rules can include schedules, who cleans what and when, and a myriad of other things. I would caution you, however, in making too many house rules. Not only do too many rules become very difficult to enforce, which then breaks down the seriousness with which a parent and children take the rules and discipline, but it also causes everyone to walk on eggshells all the time. Everyone is always afraid of failing and being fussed at, and it's disheartening. So learn, learn what battles are important battles and what, what, what hills are important hills to die on and what hills are not important hills to die on. House rules are necessary because you must apply God's rules somehow. But just be careful that you're not creating loads too heavy for your children and for you to bear. However you specifically carry out discipline in your home, it must be done. Discipline is the source of your children's wisdom. Parental discipline is not an invention of man. Developed by psychologists or conventions developed within cultures through history, there is the divine pattern for parental discipline. As we heard in Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, My son, do not reject Yahweh's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for Yahweh reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. While the exhortation is directed toward the son not to reject Yahweh's discipline, the entire statement assumes the fatherly discipline of the Lord himself. When you, engage, when you engage in the discipline of your children, it is not something that is merely good advice or a practical matter. The practice of discipline is what God himself does with his children. And as parents, you are imaging him when you discipline your children. As I alluded to earlier, this discipline is not limited to correction, although it involves it. Discipline is training. That's the bigger goal. Whenever we hear the word discipline, we always, or generally, we, we go straight to correction. 
But that's not what it is. Remember the bigger picture. Discipline is training. One commentator compared it to a military training in which the threat of punishment is present, but that is certainly not all it involves. The Lord tested his son Israel in Egypt and in the wilderness, putting, putting, him to difficult, putting him in difficult circumstances, not always for correction, but to train them to trust him. This is the discipline of which we read in Hebrews 12 that, that quotes Proverbs 3. Now, the situation of the Hebrew Christians is pressure to turn back to the temple and to Judaism, turning away from Christ, apostasy. These Christians have been faithful up to this point, but the author says that they are being disciplined by the Lord in order to produce holiness. All the hardships of persecution are the loving hand of the Heavenly Father training them. Discipline, even discipline that is not aimed at a specific sin for correction, discipline is, the writer of Hebrews says, discipline is not pleasant, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Saying no to yourself is not always easy. And hearing no is not always easy when you want to do something. God has an aim in discipline, in its holiness and all its fruit. Discipline is the way our Heavenly Father relates to us. We image Him as fathers in particular and parents in general when we engage in the discipline of our children. Parental discipline, therefore, is a matter of faith. You engage in the discipline of your children because you believe God and seek to reflect his fatherly character in your relationship with your children. Now, the presence of discipline between God and his children and the commands to discipline given to the parents assume the need for parental discipline. Now, the need for parental discipline has a double meaning. Not only does the child need discipline, but the parents need to be disciplined as well. At times throughout Proverbs, the exhortations turn away from the child and focus on the parents. For instance, we hear in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And then in Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, or from the place of the dead. This is a tendency in parents not to want, there is a tendency in parents not to want to correctively discipline their children. Now, there's always some form of sloth behind this. And sloth is a hatred of and a refusal to take up God-given responsibilities to bring order and productivity to the creation. We don't like the difficult work of parenting, and so we neglect it in some way, shape, form, or fashion. This sloth takes on all forms that sloth takes on in other areas of life, but now it's reflected in the relationship between parent and child. The sloth always has an excuse that he considers a valid reason as to why he can't be active in the training of his children. Or maybe the sloth is not always just an, an inactive couch potato playing video games. He can be very active very busy all the time in order to distract himself from fulfilling his responsibilities. He's doing everything else but what he's supposed to do. And families lots of times do this. They clutter up their lives with so many activities that they can avoid their responsibilities. But they're doing it all for the children. 
It's all the sports, every, every activity. They go to dance. They go to all this kind of stuff. And they're busy all the time. And the parent never has time with the child to actually train him in these things. If you try to tell him that what he's doing is deleterious to his children's long-term health, he's got an answer for you and the other six people that you bring with you. He's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly, Proverbs 26, 16 says. He knows. He's read the books. He knows what he's doing. He's listened to his peers who absolutely, and their young parents, they know everything. They know everything about child rearing because they listen to a podcast from another parent that probably has a one-year-old. And he knows everything. He's learned everything because it's just birth and child raising is so amazing. And they don't know practically anything. You need to listen to older, wiser people who have been there before. But you've read the books. You even, but, but you've read the books. You think you know what you're doing, but your children act like feral hogs. Maybe he refuses to discipline in the name of compassion because he's learned some gentle parenting approach. I mean, what kind of heartless parent wants to see his child hurt? The gentle parenting approach, by the way, is like fruitful socialism. You may want to believe it's true, but it's a fairy tale, all right? It doesn't produce good fruit. I've watched it. We want to soften everything around our children, both physically and mentally, so that they will never have to deal with pain. But pain is a part of the process of discipline. We won't make them do things that they are uncomfortable with. We won't spank them because we're going to hurt them and make them cry. The slothful parent has no long-term vision for his child. It's always about the immediate here and now avoidance of pain. He doesn't want to see what's coming down the road. I just don't want to do this now. The parent needs discipline, training himself or herself in how and when to say no and yes to himself or herself. Yes, the discipline will be difficult for your children, and it's painful for the parent. Seeing them struggle with certain school subjects or hurt when you correct them is not easy to endure. Your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions must be trained by God's word to do what is necessary for your children in the long term. You must be diligent in discipline, as Proverbs says, if you love your child, you will be. But it will take faith-filled fortitude to do so consistently. The diligence to which we are called as parents is steady, earnest, and energetic effort. We're devoted to the painstaking work to accomplishing this task. Consistency in discipline is one of the most difficult challenges in parenting. That's why Proverbs exhorts us to it time and again. God knows it's a challenge. In the parental discipline of children, parents need discipline. Parents need discipline to discipline their child because the child needs discipline himself. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline drives it far from him. Children need discipline because their hearts are bound up with folly. Now, the verb there, bound up, has the idea of confining, but it also carries with it, along those lines, the connotations of being in league together or conspiring. Their hearts are trapped with foolishness, to be sure, but the heart is knit 
together in such a way so as to be in league against wisdom. The last thing your child wants is wisdom. All aspects of their hearts are in conspiracy with one another to fight against wisdom. The heart is the center of who we are. It is our mind, will, and emotions. The way we think, what we desire, what guides our decisions, the way we respond to everything around us is determined by the heart. It is central command to our entire being. Folly or foolishness being bound up in the heart then means that this is not a superficial issue. This is not as if your child fell into a septic tank and simply needs a little outward scouring. The filth is on the inside. This goes to the core of his being, directing the way he thinks, what he loves, his will, his emotions, everything. Understanding that your child, even your baptized child, is a sinner in need of unpleasant discipline is fundamental to you doing what you need to do as a parent. As a parent, you are a heart surgeon called to drive away the foolish conspirators of the child's heart, giving him a heart of wisdom. Your child needs discipline. Some children are more compliant and ready to hear, and some are more strong-willed, but they all share foolishness in their hearts. All children, therefore, need discipline. The need of the children moves us then to understand the motivation for parental discipline. When speaking to the issue of disciplining children, Solomon gives two specific motivations for discipline, love and hope. In our opening passage in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we heard of the heart of the Heavenly Father toward His children as to why He disciplines them. He disciplines us because He loves us. He delights in us. A father who delights in his son is one who disciplines his son, and our Heavenly Father lovingly delights in us. When we hear, I love my children, our tendency is to reduce this to a strong feeling of affection. And emotion is certainly involved here in love to speak about delighting in your son is to be emotionally affectionate and there's no denying that emotion is involved but emotion separated from instruction from god's word and actions that seek to put your child in line with god's wisdom is dangerous unguided emotion or affection can justify hooking up with harlot folly because you have feelings for her or as some kids say they catch feelings for her our emotions, just as every other aspect of our hearts, they are tainted by sin. Wise emotions are those that are bounded by wise instruction and learn to take delight in what is right and hate what is evil. Love is concerned and acts in a way that seeks what is best for the beloved. Loving someone else may involve personal pain. The cross is a vivid demonstration of God's love. Loving someone else may involve pain to the beloved at times. Disciplining your child, training him through pain is love. We hear in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Love is expressed in diligent discipline. Hatred is expressed in a refusal to do so. Now to hate someone sometimes involves emotional animosity, but that is not hatred's extent. Hatred is treating someone as an enemy when you don't discipline your children you are treating them as your enemy how so because the refusal to discipline is joining the enemies of wisdom that seek to destroy their lives you are joining the foolishness that resides in their hearts and that has formed a battalion to fight against wisdom you have joined their hearts of foolishness 
and you're fighting against wisdom. The tricky aspect of this is that hatred might present itself as loving, like loving sexual perversion by never calling it sin. Discipline of your children is motivated by love, a love that finds its source in love himself and his revelation of love in his word. He loves perfectly, and he has revealed how we are to love. Not to align ourselves with his revealed love is hatred for our children. We discipline our children because we love our children, but we also discipline our children because we have hope for our children. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 23, 14 says that, the strike, that striking him with the rod will save his soul from the abode of the dead, Sheol. We discipline in hope, hope in God's promises. We discipline not just with the hope that maybe we can make them decent citizens and keep them out of jail, but that they will be delivered from death in resurrection. The discipline of our children is for their eternal life. This is not mere behavior modification as if we're dealing with Pavlov's dog, though that will be involved. You are a soul doctor as a parent by God's grace to bring eternal healing. We discipline the way God tells us to discipline because God has given us promises concerning his covenant faithfulness toward us and our children. And I realize that there are times when faithful parents lose children to apostasy. Nothing in this world works mechanically so that if you take these steps in discipline your children, everything's going to turn out okay. Okay, apostasy is in many ways a mystery, as I've talked about Friday night. However, if you don't discipline your children, you have very little reason to hope that they will turn out to be faithful at all. We discipline and hope of what God will do with our faithfulness to him and to our children. Now we have our aim, we have our reasons, we have our motivation. Now we conclude with the tools of parental discipline. The discipline enjoined by Solomon throughout Proverbs always assumes instruction. There needs to be teaching so that our children know what the standard is. That instruction is not merely the communication of information from our brains to theirs. Instruction involves example as well as words. Both are needed. One responsibility of the parents is to make truth beautiful before the lives of our children, to show them the way of wisdom in our relationship as husbands and wives. Discipline, once again, needs to be embodied in you. They need to see that you don't just tell them things to do, but that you work diligently as well. You, you work diligently with good attitudes and love for what is right and hatred for what is evil. They need to see how you endure suffering with grace and you handle prosperity with temperance. They need to see the well-ordered relationship between the parents so that they will desire that. They need to have a standard, a living standard always before them. Beauty is attractive. Beauty is attractive, and it draws us in. And yes, some hate what is beautiful, and they try to distort it because of their dark hearts and their own self-loathing. But children who live in beautiful homes tend to want that for themselves. People who see beautiful families tend to want that for themselves. Word and deed, instruction and example are tools for parenting. Show them wisdom. But Proverbs also clearly mentions two specific tools in the parent's toolbox. Reproof and the rod. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. 
but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof, this brings together what Proverbs is all about. Discipline is about the entire person. The rod without instruction is aimless and abusive. The rod is meant to keep you on the path of wisdom, like an active guardrail to keep you on the road. But if you're never told where the road is, you have no idea why the guardrails keep pummeling you all the time. Reproof without the rod becomes empty words. I'm going to count to three. Really? You know what you're doing when you tell your child that? You're teaching them how to count to three. That's it. Because he he knows by three I can do something. I'll go ahead and do it. How many times do I have to tell you? (laughs) Those are empty words. If there's not a painful consequence for not following the way of wisdom, the lesson will not be learned. Reproof is generally the verbal correction of error. It may not be exclusive to verbal, but that is the emphasis. Reproof tells the child, hey, you're going the wrong way. Don't go that way, go this way. Again, as we heard in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, those whom God loves, he reproves. We hear the rod spoken of several times in Proverbs already. What is the rod? Now, our minds quickly jump to the instrument of pain that is applied to the seat of learning now that's not that's not wrong but there's a deeper a deeper reference in scripture than simply wielding an instrument of pain the rod is the instrument of a shepherd as we hear in psalm 23 and shepherds are kings in scripture and they hold a rod which can also be translated a scepter You are a shepherd of your child and his heart, and you are given an instrument to guide him. As a king, you have authority that is to be used judiciously, wisely, in order to set relationships back in proper order, making them good, beautiful, faithful, and productive. The rod is not to be used arbitrarily or for selfish purposes. It is not an instrument of frustration that divides you from your children. The rod is used to set relationships right, which means that it must be applied in such a way in a parent-child relationship that reconciliation and peace are the aim. Rods can be used to destroy. There's a rod of iron in Psalm 2 that the Messiah comes and he destroys. He, He breaks all the nations. It can be used to destroy, but that is in relationship to enemies. Your child is not your enemy. Yes, the the rod is an instrument of pain and parental discipline. Shepherding a child's foolish heart involves pain. Now, arguments can be made that the pain inflicted can be psychological as much as physical, and therefore physical pain is not necessary in disciplining children. While I believe that psychological pain, such as scolding, isolation, removal of privileges, and other things, can be effective, quote-unquote, rods in some cases, there is an emphasis in Proverbs and elsewhere that the application of pain to the body is fundamental. I don't think we need to outsmart ourselves and try to say something God doesn't say. The application of physical pain is indeed training of the heart and mind. We can't, train our, we can't treat our children like disembodied minds and emotions. Physical discomfort helps train the mind and heart. Ask anybody who's gone through special ops in uh, and I, ne- I never did this, but uh, Navy SEALs or Rangers or whatever, they realize that the physical pain that they go through actually trains their minds and toughens their minds. It changes them. Same thing here. 
Physical, we are embodied creatures. The two work hand in glove. Physical discomfort should not be discredited as barbaric or abusive. We are embodied creatures, and pain in the body, according to Proverbs 22:15, drives foolishness from our hearts. You're applying measured pain. Please hear this, parents. You are applying measured pain from a loving heart to help him avoid unmeasured pain that will come later in life from people who do not love him. These are tools given to the parent by God. This is your authority, and with that, your responsibility. Wield them wisely. If our children are going to be disciplined, it must start with the discipline of the parents, embodied in our lives as parents and then applied to our children. This is our calling. This is the way of wisdom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have given us the blessing of children. Help us to be faithful as parents. Help the church to encourage parents to do the right things. And help our, children, help our children grow up in your nurture and your discipline. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.